You're listening to Packers Talk Network. Packers Talk. Do you want to experience the thrill of a Packers game at Lambeau Field? If so, be sure to get your game tickets from the longtime trusted source in Wisconsin, Ticket King. Visit their locations in Milwaukee and Green Bay. Or just go to their website at TicketKing.com. Again, that's the TicketKing.com. It's Packers Therapy. It's Chris and Dave, but that's not all. Yes, a guest, a special five-week guest on Packers Therapy. We will introduce him in just a second. We want you to know right up front, this is a very special edition of Packers Therapy. There's no game to talk about, uh, so there's going to be no betting lines that we're going to share during this uh, podcast. There will be no pop culture. I guess, in a way, though, this whole episode could be pop culture, uh, as uh, we have uh, a longtime Packers fan uh, and an author who has recently, uh, recently written uh, a piece, uh, which will be available to you. We'll talk about it later on in the podcast. Tom Delisensory uh, is a gentleman who now lives in Florida, in Tallahassee, uh, but he grew up in Green Bay and in De Pere and grew up at a time of the Lombardi-era Green Bay Packers. And he has written a, a beautiful memoir uh, called The Other Golden Boy. And it's uh, Tom's uh, late life encounters with uh, Paul Horning, who uh, passed away uh, not that long ago. And uh, Tom was able to have some memorable interactions with the Golden Boy, the NFL Hall of Famer. And we're going to talk about that. But Tom, as a way to kind of introduce you uh, to Packers Therapy listeners, why don't you tell a little bit about your background growing up on the east side of uh, Green Bay and then later on in De Pere and going to school there and at the University of Wisconsin. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background as a person and as a Packers fan? Well, I would love to. I would love to. And I, and I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. Um, as you noted, I, I am a, a born and raised uh, Packer fan, born and raised in Green Bay. Um, I grew up on the east side of Green Bay on Eliza Street uh, between Webster and Monroe. Um, and I spent the first 12 years of my life there. And then my family moved to De Pere, about five miles down the road. Uh, and we, we lived in East De Pere. And that's really where I grew up. Um, and have my dearest friends yet today. Um, and uh, went to school, uh, went to the University of Wisconsin and uh, uh, ended up with a job in a job in sales. And I never really, I had a degree in political science and uh, I never really decided, thought I would go into sales, although my father had been in sales all his life. But uh, it was one of those things where um, I wound up in sales and uh, I spent, almost 30 years in consumer product sales, uh, much of that with uh, uh, consumer products division of Pfizer. Mm. And uh, I was a sales rep and uh, I was a district manager and national account manager. And we moved around a lot um, and it was a great job and, and I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the travel, but after 28 years, it kind of wore me down. And my wife and I had built a home in Fort Myers 
And the, it was sort of the, you know, someday home that we would eventually retire to. <clears throat> and after um, our girls kind of got out of school, um, we decided we would just, you know, go down there and, uh, and live. And so we went down there. Um, I had, you know, offers to stay where I was. In fact, they, they were going to let me work the job out of Florida. But, you know, it was a, a matter of travel. I was just really tired of uh, getting on airplanes and traveling around. Um, and so we moved to the home we had in uh, Fort Myers. And I literally answered an ad in the newspaper for um, a district manager for the Florida Lottery. I knew nothing about lottery, but I knew a lot about sales and management. And um, so I, I was hired for the Florida Lottery and uh, kind of had to learn that business. Um, and then about three years later, uh, they, they brought me up and asked me to be the vice president of sales. So I was the VP of sales for the Florida Lottery. And I did that for um, about uh, 10 years. And then they promoted me to deputy secretary of uh, of sales and marketing. And about that time, I gave my notice to retire. Um, and I, you know, I said, I'll give you two years, uh, uh, but I'd like to retire at this date. And about six months before that retirement date was going to happen, there was a change at the top of the lottery and the governor called me to his office and asked if I would take over the uh, head of the Florida lottery. Um, I told him quite candidly I was considering retiring and he said, you know, do you really want to? And I said, I don't think I do. So um, so so I did. I took it over and became the head of the Florida Lottery and um, enjoyed doing that for a couple of years. And then uh, I got a call from the Kentucky Lottery and they asked if I would uh, be the president and CEO of, of their lottery. Uh, so I did. And I did that for three years. And um uh, and then I retired in in March of uh, of 2020. They had asked me to stay on for three more years. I had a three year contract, and they wanted to renew it for three more. But I thought it was probably time to uh, pull the plug. And uh, and and that was basically uh, you know how my life went. Uh, and it was while I was in Kentucky that I actually met Paul Horning. Right. You you were in uh, Louisville, I believe, and that of course is as a lot of Packer fans will know that is where uh, Paul Horning hails from. And how was it when you came to Louisville that you were able to get connected with your boyhood hero? How did that come to be, Tom? Well, you know, when I first went up there, they had a press conference for me. And, I, and I, you know, they asked me why I decided to come to the Kentucky Lottery. And I, you know, gave them a number of business reasons. And then as an aside, I said it also happens to be the, the uh, hometown of uh, my boyhood uh, idol, Paul Horning. And um, I didn't really say that for any reason. I just, I mean, expectation wise, I just said it because it was true. Um, and about a month later, um, one of the employees said, you know, I know somebody who knows Paul Horning. Would you like me to see if I could um, arrange a meeting? And I said, oh, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so they did. And the the, the meeting was going to be a lunch. And, you know, Paul um, dabbled in a lot of things, but he was basically retired, but yet he had an office downtown and he was on the 10th or 11th floor. And um, so that's where we were going to have lunch. So that's where I met him. And, you know, I, it all came full circle because when I was a, a, a kid, 
Um, I can remember my mother dropping me off at the Oneida Street practice field. I was probably, you know, 10 or 11. And I would chase Paul Horning around the parking lot uh, <laughs> to try to get his autograph. And and so, you know, as I as I met him, you know, it was it was, it was that kind of a thing. You know, it was uh, almost larger than life. Um, but we had a very nice lunch and I, you know, asked him a few questions and uh, and then I thought that'd be the end of it. Um, but it turned out that, uh, you know, I got a call about a month later and the person said, uh, you know, would you like to have lunch again with Paul? And I said, oh, are you kidding? Of course. <laughs> and that basically led to uh, monthly lunches for three years. And it, it was just an amazing thing for me because um, uh, I was able to, you know, get to know him on a on a different level. I, the first two or three meetings, I was always, you know, fairly tongue tied, and and uh, you know, it's like it's like I was that kid again. Uh, but but after about the third lunch, you know, it was just basically two people talking, and and I would ask him a lot of questions about the Packers and football, and and uh, he never pulled any punches. He was uh, he was brutally honest, and we we just had a great time. Uh, so that's really how it came about, and. Uh, it was uh, it was the thrill of a lifetime for me. Now at this at this point, you're in your uh, late 60s. Paul is in his early 80s, I believe, is kind of the yeah. timeline there. And the image that a lot of us have, um, I I'm old enough to have seen on television. You know, Paul Horning play. Uh, Dave is is not is not quite that old. But I know Dave has seen a lot of the old videos, and of course heard a lot of the old stories about uh, Paul uh, Paul McCartney, right? Paul Horning, <laughs> or, or probably about Paul McCartney's <laughs> switching gears. Yeah, yeah. Well, but you know, but they're but they're both rock stars in their own way. Yeah. Um, so the the idea though that. Paul and Max McGee, these were guys that, you know, did all these kind of crazy things, especially for the time. But you met him at a different point in his life. What was that like for you, having grown up uh, sort of idol worshiping Paul Horning and having the chance then to meet him, but at a whole different part in his life? What was that like? Yeah, it was really interesting. I, I think that was probably one of the most interesting things at all, because, you know, um, you know, for anybody who was a, a 60s Packer fan who grew up in that area, um, they knew that Paul Horning was uh, Joe Namath and Burt Reynolds before either man was really on the public uh, specter. And um, so, you know, that's that's the impression you have of Paul Horning, the golden boy. When I met him, he um you know, he was he was older. He was in his 80s. Uh, he was still sharp um, and he still had a great sense of humor. Um, but he, you know, age had taken its toll and he had a hard time walking. Um, I remember the, the first lunch we had, um, you know, we about an hour and, and I thought that would be a one off. And so I, you know, thanked everybody and uh and his his uh, assistant had had said, you know, why don't we take a picture? And so I stood next to him. He had a horrible time getting up. He got up, uh, but he had a horrible time getting up. And uh, uh, every every picture we had after that, you know, I just said, stay stay down. I'll I'll, I'll kneel down by you. And uh, uh, but you know, it, it was um, a different look. Uh, he had obviously changed. He wasn't. Uh, you know, he wasn't the the playboy that he was uh, in the 60s. Uh, he was very devoted to his wife, Angela, who he's 
been married to for like 41 years or had been married to for 41 years. Um, and he was starting to get uh, dementia. Mm. And the the first time that I realized it was um, that very first meeting. Uh, he had a, as I was saying goodbye, he had a desk and behind the desk was a, a, a huge oversized picture of the uh, 1965, I believe, championship game in Green Bay that they played against the Cleveland Browns. And it was a picture of Paul and uh, uh, Fuzzy Thurston walking off the field in mud cake uniforms. And I remembered it because I was at that game. And so I said to him, I said, Paul, that, that picture is very special to me because uh, I was at that game. And I said, you know, if I could ask you one more question, how did you, how do you feel your performance in that game compared to the 1961 championship game that was in Green Bay? And he looked at me and he said, um, who did we play? And I, I said, well, it was the uh, I, I thought he was kidding at first, but but I could see he was. And so I said, well, it was a game against the Cleveland Browns. And he said, where'd we play it? And I said, well, uh, you, you played it in in, uh, in Green Bay at Lambeau. And uh, there was just just a blank. But, you know, there were other times uh, talking about the 1961 championship game that he could almost tell me play by play on what happened. So so it, it's uh, I, I don't understand to mention. I hope I never have to. But it's uh, it's a very strange thing because sometimes he was uh, sharp as attack and other times uh, not so much. Uh, just to recap a second here, we are talking uh, with Tom Delisensory. This is not fresh air, by the way. It may You may feel like I'm Terry Gross today, but it's not the case. Uh, Tom has written an article uh, about his encounters uh, with the late life Paul Horning called The Other Golden Boy and uh, recapping how it uh, came to be that in sort of a Tuesdays with Maury uh, sort of way, but it was a once a month lunch for three years uh, that Tom had with one of the, not just Packer all-time greats, but NFL all-time greats. And you referenced a, a second ago, uh, Tom, uh, that classic championship game, uh, I believe it was January 1st, 1966. I remember that because I that was the first Packer game I remember watching as a kid. Now I was, uh, you know, I was a little bit uh, younger. I was six years old at the time, but I do remember watching that game because because of the mud. The mud kind of got my whole attention, and I remember Paul Horning uh, scoring in that game, uh, getting knocked down to the point where number five was completely covered in the mud, and uh, and you mentioned the guys walking off the field. Uh, that was a classic NFL moment, um, and you got a chance to recount with Paul a lot of interactions with kind of a who's who, not just in the NFL, but uh, in sports uh, generally. There, there was a, a great uh, story you tell in this article uh, about Paul and another native of Louisville, Muhammad Ali. Um, why don't you retell that story? That was, uh, that was quite memorable. Yeah, <clears throat> that was, that was uh, one I'd never heard of. And, uh, it was uh, it was a great story. I, you know, we had talked about a number of things Packer related, and I knew Ali had grown up in Louisville. And so one lunch, I just said, Paul, did you, <clears throat> excuse me, I said, did you know Muhammad Ali? He said, oh yeah, I knew him very well. And uh, I said, what was he like? And he said, you know, he was uh, he was uh, a young guy, and uh, he said he he was uh, a lot of uh, fun. 
And he said, in fact, one one Friday he called me up and uh, he said, uh, Paul, why don't you and I go downtown and walk around and stop traffic? <laughs> and, you know, they were both at kind of the, the I guess the height or they were they were rising stars in their professions. And so uh, he and uh, Paul and Muhammad Ali went walked around downtown Louisville and uh, a lot of fans uh, stopped and talked to them and so forth. And they did all that. And as they were walking uh, through downtown, they walked past a fairly well-known hotel. And Paul suggested to Ali that they go in for a drink. And Ali just stopped in his tracks and, you know, he said, Paul, I I can't go in there with you. They won't serve me. And and Paul said, uh, well, they're going to serve you if you're with me. And... Ali said, uh, would you really do that for me? And he said, of course, let's let's go. So they went to the hotel to go to the bar. And as Ali suspected, they were approached uh, by an employee who told Paul that he was welcome to stay, but Ali would have to leave. And Paul said he uh, he told the person, he said, either he uh, has a drink in here with me, or I pick up that table and throw it through the window. <laughs> and uh, I, I guess cooler heads prevailed. And you know, as I said in, in the in the uh, in the book I wrote, um, Paul was imposing at 84. I mean, he was a big guy, and uh, obviously, you know, out of shape and everything. But he was a tall man, and so I can only imagine uh, at a 20-something Paul Horning getting in somebody's face that uh, it wouldn't have been comfortable. So the hotel relented and they let Ali in. But, you know, those are the things that you kind of uh, forget took place. And uh, and Paul's childhood was no uh, uh, picnic either. I mean, he was uh, raised by a single mom. And he told me that he often remembered uh, sleeping on a an army cot at friends' homes, uh, that his mother would go from home to home um, until she got on her feet and got a job. But she ended up getting a job as an administrator at uh, Fort Knox, and and Paul was uh, totally devoted to his mother. Uh, so you know, there's there's an example of two two kids that kind of came up the hard way in Louisville, Kentucky, and both made uh, tremendous names for themselves uh, just on uh, talent, uh, ability, and a lot of hard work. You know, that story, Tom, reminds me of uh, the story I heard about uh, Vince Lombardi when they would do mm-hmm. uh, preseason games in the mm-hmm. South. And, of course, that was, you know, during the time of Jim Crow and segregation. And uh, Lombardi would have, you know, none of it. I mean, he he was just he was totally uh, out of sync for the time for for a white person. And it, it sounds yeah. like a lot of those values were shared by Paul Horning, and, it, and maybe that was one of the reasons why the the two of them, Lombardi and Horning, had this father-son relationship. Do you think there's anything to that? Yeah, I think so. I, I think uh, Paul was uh, was incredibly, um, you know, for all the talk about the playboy and everything, uh, you could tell talking to him that he was an incredibly principled guy, and, and he was brutally honest. Uh, he would tell you exactly what he thought. And, you know, we would have those conversations. I said, you know, Paul, when you played in Green Bay, I said, you know, if you saw a black person on the street, you almost automatically assumed they played for the Packers. And 
um, you know, he would he would tell me that, uh, you know, not only did they have trouble, you know, going to southern cities uh, that Lombardi basically said, you know, either I'll stay or no one stays. But it was even living in Green Bay. Um, a lot of the black players lived in uh, less than desirable housing and Lombardi kind of changed all that. So, yeah, I think that there was kind of a you know, a, a connection between the two. And and certainly um, Lombardi looked at uh, Horning as uh, almost like a son. Now, there were a lot of uh, reminiscences that uh, Paul had about some of those great contemporary Packer players. And the one that jumped out to me when I was, was reading your piece uh, was uh, Ray Nitschke. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Ray, of course, died young. And yeah. because of that, I think there's sort of a, a halo around him in lots of ways. But but Paul had some some rather direct feelings that he shared about Ray Nitschke. Well, Ray Nitschke was always one of my favorites. And I, I mean, I just love the way he played, the passion that he played with. And I think the first time I met with Paul, I asked him a lot about Vince Lombardi. But the second meeting... Um, I just happened to see his his office was filled with all kinds of pictures, and one was with him and Ray Nitschke. So I said to him, uh, Paul, uh, what was Ray Nitschke like? And uh, he said he was hell of a football player, one hell of a middle linebacker. And I said, well, um, that, true. What was he like as a person? <laughs> and he looked me straight in the eye, and he said he was a real asshole. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I just I wasn't expecting it. So I I just broke out laughing and then he kind of smiled and he chuckled and laughed. Um, but as I say in the manuscript, he um, you know, I always I always felt it was kind of a complicated relationship between him and and uh, Nishi because he would make references again. You know, I, he, I'd be standing by a picture and he'd say, who's who's in that picture with me? And I'd say that's uh, Jim Taylor and Ray Nishi. He said, oh, that asshole. Nishi. But uh, <laughs> But at the same time, he told me a story. Uh, in fact, I usually ask the questions, but one time he asked me a question. He said, do you remember Rick Caceres? And I said, oh, I should absolutely do. He was a fullback for the for the Bears. And I remembered, uh, and I said to Paul, I said, my memory of Rick Caceres is that he looked like the type of guy that could take care of himself in a dark alley. And Horning looked very seriously, he said, oh, and he knew it. And he told me about, you know, they would carouse in uh, uh, Chicago and uh, Caceres would get in fights and he just said, you know, he never lost. But there was a story between him and Ray Nitschke that apparently they played a game in Chicago <clears throat> and Nitschke tackled Caceres and they kind of twisted his ankle and it, and it broke and it put Caceres out for the rest of the season. Um, at the end of the season, there was a an awards banquet. Uh, Horning was at it, Caceres was at it, Nitschke was at it. And according to Paul, uh, the the whole night, uh, Caceres just just tormented Nitschke, tried to bait him to come outside and fight, and Horning just said, "Don't take the bait," and he never did. But as they were walking out, uh, Paul pulled uh, Ray Nitschke aside and he said, "You know, Ray, I just saved your life tonight." And uh, you know, he, he you know, Nitschke was kind of dismissive about it, and and Horning grabbed him. He said, "Ray, I mean it. I just saved your life." And apparently, uh, Caceres was that that type of a guy. He was a uh, almost a professional as a boxer. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of told me that you know it, it, Paul also cared for uh, Ray Nitschke as well. 
You, you know, there's a little bit of history, uh, too, that I, I want you to touch on, because a part of what we do on Packers Therapy is we want to educate uh, the podcast listener. <laughs> and uh, you make reference uh, to somebody that I am young enough that I didn't see play. He was no longer with the Packers by the time I started following him in, in late 1965. Uh, Ron Kramer. Now, yeah. this is a, a guy that... Uh, I had heard the stories of what a great player he was, and you reference um, Kramer kind of revolutionizing the tight end position. Uh, so for somebody that actually saw this guy play, uh, him and Ditka, I think, it are, th are the two players that you uh, credit with being uh, transformational figures uh, when it comes to how the tight end is used today in the NFL. Yeah, that's really true. I, I remember, um, yeah, I was talking to Paul one time and I said something about, you know, I knew he and Ditka were close and I knew he and Kramer were close, Ron Kramer. And I just said something like, you know, uh, what was Mike Ditka like? And he said, uh, he said between Ron Dit uh, uh, Mike Ditka and Ron Kramer, they completely changed the position of the tight end in the NFL. And, you know, it's really true because both of them were athletic enough to um, – catch the ball. I think Ron Kramer was like a, a four-letter athlete at uh, Michigan State. Uh, basketball was one and track and football. But Ron Kramer was like, you know, I don't know, 6'2 or 6'3 and maybe two, I think he was listed as 260 pounds, but he might have been bigger. And uh, he was a devastating blocker. Uh, once he caught the ball, it was very difficult for people to tackle him. Uh, sort of Gronkowski before Gronkowski. Uh -huh. uh, but I, I remember talking to Paul about, you know, the, the 1961 game, the championship game in Green Bay that they played the Giants and they won 37 to nothing. That was the first championship game I'd ever gone to. And Horning was the MVP. And I said to him, um, what did it feel like to be the MVP of that game? And he said, uh, should have gone to Ron Kramer. I said, what do you mean? He said, anybody that would have watched, he said, I don't know what the sports writer, what game the sports writers were watching. Because anybody that knew anything about football uh, would have given that to Ron Kramer. He said, I only did what I did that game because of Ron Kramer. He said he completely dominated Sam Huff, their middle linebacker. Who, who, and, who just uh, passed away recently. Yes, yes. So, yeah, so Ron Kramer was uh, was instrumental in, in a lot of uh, what the Packers did. Um, I've got one more question, and I think I want to let Dave ask a couple of questions. But um, before I... I leave the the article in, entirely. Um, you know, Paul Horning was, um, I guess, a little controversial in the early 1960s when he and Alex Karras, uh, you know, were suspended for a year for gambling. And right. Paul handled that in a way that, I guess, for contemporary Packer fans would be uh, a contrast with what Aaron Rodgers has dealt with when it comes to the coronavirus vaccination immunization, yeah. and I was wondering if if you if you could uh, to talk about how uh, Paul Horning handled his controversy with how Aaron Rodgers handled his. Well, that was a big deal at the time because he was at the height of his uh, height of his game, and uh, I think that. The, the truth of the matter is I think there were a lot more NFL players betting on games than just Paul Horning and Alex Karras. But 
they were the two that were sort of made an example of, and uh, Horning was the first one to uh, to be accused, and he admitted that he did. And um, so, you know, at the time, and and I think one of the one of the things he kind of shared with me was that you know he basically said to the commissioner he he knew there were a lot more players uh, doing it. Um, so they they basically suspended him. He sat out for a year. Uh, I remember, you know, the paper saying Lombardi told him to basically kneel at the foot of the cross and just, you know, <laughs> be, be good and don't do anything stupid. And he did. He ran the stadium steps over and over and over again. And he told me he was in the best shape of his life. But I think the the thing that again, that's that that honesty that Paul Horning had uh, came out again, where he didn't deny it. I even said to him, I said, well, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, I said. Uh, well, Paul, you, you certainly you bet on, on games, but you never bet on the Packers, did you? And he said, of course I did. He said, we were the best team in the league. Why would I bet on the Packers? He he was just brutally honest. And I think, uh, you know, unlike uh, maybe like a Pete Rose, uh, where there was always that dodging, uh, this really never kept him out of the Hall of Fame. He still went into the Hall of Fame. And after a year or two, um, most of that was forgotten. So with with the Aaron Rodgers situation now, um, you know, Aaron kind of hemmed and hawed and he knew he was being less than candid, less than forthright. um, And he admitted as much later on. You think Paul Horning would have been a lot more candid uh, had the roles been reversed and he was a contemporary player at at the time of the coronavirus. Yeah, I think he would have right to the jump. He would have said he isn't doing it, why he isn't doing it, and uh, you know, and and would have let the chips fall where they may. And I think that's a, I think that's a good lesson for everybody. I mean, it's uh, uh, sometimes it's uh, it's worse to shade or or dodge than it is to just be upfront uh, and take whatever criticism you might in the short term, but eventually it goes away. Well, um, I know Dave is 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 chomping at the bit here. Uh, to talk a bit about the Ice Bowl, because we know that you have a relic from the Ice Bowl, and uh, you were one of uh, apparently two million people who were at that game. So, so Dave, why don't you take it from there? That is what I've always heard, is that uh, uh, everyone has said that they were at the Ice Bowl. I, I don't, I've just heard that, but uh, you were actually at the Ice Bowl. Can you, can you describe what that's like? I've been to... Um, I guess the coldest game I might have been to was probably in the 20 degrees, but that's probably is my limit. But like, was there any hesitation of going to that game once it got as cold as it was? No, and I think it was probably more stupidity than anything else than courage. Um, no, you're right. If 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 everybody who said they were at the Ice Bowl were at the Ice Bowl, you would have had to have 10 Lambeau Fields to, <laughs> to, to accommodate them. Um, I got a ticket. Uh, you know, I, I didn't. I was never a season ticket holder, and I saw every championship game in Green Bay. And you know, that particular game, people were selling tickets like crazy. Um, so, and and the, and the thing that that people don't realize is that the clothing that that you had in the '60s, the winter clothing, was nothing like it is today. Um, and so, I went to the game with uh, two of my friends. And I remember my mother, before I left, my dear mother said, um, why don't you take a sleeping bag with you? 
And, you know, I was 17 years old. I knew everything there was to know. And I said, Mom, because I'm not going camping, I'm going to watch a football game. So I, <laughs> I, you know, put my coat on, put a stocking cap on. I probably had long underwear, you know. But um, I got to that game. And, of course, you're sitting there. You're not moving. And uh, it was cold. And, and I, <laughs> I remember spending the entire halftime just jumping up and down in the concourse just to try to get circulation going. Um, the other thing I remember about that game is going down on the field after it was over, because if you recall, uh, Lombardi had put in an electric uh, heating system, a coil system, mm -hmm. and, and the idea was to keep the, the field at a, a, a nice temperature, but it short-circuited, so it was basically the field was almost flash-frozen, and I just remember thinking about that field, it was almost like walking on concrete, it was that hard. Um, but yeah, I, I have a piece of the goalpost. It looks like any other goalpost, uh, <laughs> but but I know that it, it came from the ice bowl, and that's uh, that's. A, I, I'm not sure I could do that today, but at the time, uh, it was a lot of fun. Where were your seats relative to the last Bart Starr touchdown? We were um, on about the, I guess maybe the 25, 30 yard line, looking towards his back. So I would see his back. So, so we really couldn't tell um, what was going on until we heard the cheers from the other side of the stadium. And, uh, and then we knew that uh, star got in on that sneak. Yeah. I would think you'd be basically watching, well, there's no uh, replay screen at the time. Right. So I would think you'd be watching that whole game through the reactions of other people at that time. That was basically it. And and I, I don't know if you remember, there was a, the Cowboys had a guy, uh, Bob Hayes. He was listed mm -hmm. as fastest human at the time. Mm -hmm. He was a track guy who went to football. And in fact, he played at uh, uh, FAMU, which is the uh, um, HBCU University here in Tallahassee. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But when he, um, it was an interesting take, and I didn't rec notice it at the game, but I, I would notice that he had his hands when he would line up, he'd have, his, he'd have his hands tucked into his jersey. And the defensive backs, uh, I guess Adderley and, and Wood, said that every time he lined up and didn't have his hands in his jersey, they knew that it was going to be a pass to him. And when <laughs> he lined up with his hands in his jersey, they knew they didn't have to worry about it. <laughs> and, of course, those were the days before they had the, the scuba diver-type gloves uh, right. Not just for warmth, but for being able to hang on to a, a slippery ball in those conditions. And I would think that the icy field, even though uh, Bob Hayes had won a gold medal in the Olympics, uh, you know, on that icy field, that probably negated that advantage. Without a doubt. I mean, that that field, it was amazing. You know, if you see the old um, clips, there were some that Donnie Anderson ran, uh, you know, more than five yards, 10 yards. Chuck Mercine ran. Right. Uh, 10 or 15 yards, and you almost wonder how they did it because, as, as you mentioned, I mean, it, speed, it didn't matter how fast you were. It was the conditions of the field really uh, leveled that playing field. Yeah. And then you also went to the first Super Bowl, and forgive me of my history, Is was Super Bowl one after the same year as the Ice Bowl? Did that get them? Yes. To the Ice Bowl? Okay. Um, how, how did you was, decide? That would be the second one, right, Tom? Right. The the, the um, Super Bowl one was the one before the Ice Bowl. So the Super Bowl one was played like in January of 67. And the Ice Bowl was like in December of 67. December, 30, <laughs> December 31st. So 
uh, you know, again, I was probably 18 years old and uh, never really been out of Wisconsin in the winter. And a friend of mine and I uh, had saved up some money. And so, you know, we went to the Super Bowl. So uh, if you can believe it or not, the tickets were $10. And plenty of good seats were available. Was oh, that the one where the, uh, the guy the, in the... Yeah, it was at the Emily Coliseum. And the place was, you know, you'd see a movie star. You'd see like Kirk Douglas. Um, and um, but but the place was was half empty, really. Um, and of course, we didn't care. We were there to see the Packers. And, uh, uh, you know, luckily they they pulled it out. But, uh, yeah, I used to I used to tell people that with pride that I went to the first Super Bowl until one day somebody said to me, how old are you? Uh, so, so now I'm, I'm old enough where I don't care uh, anymore. But, yeah, that was kind of a unique thing. And I did have. Uh, I was going to go to the second one, which was in Miami. Um, ticket again was ten dollars or twelve dollars, um, but I at the last minute I, I I realized I didn't have enough money, and so I sold the ticket. But uh, yeah, it was one of those kind of unique things where you could say you've been there. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, the thing about your uh, your your piece, uh, Tom, is that it. While it it does chronicle. Um, an older man at the end of a remarkable life and he's having some memory issues and dementia is creeping in. It's not maudlin at all. Um, it's no. actually a very uh, robust view, almost celebratory. And I think that's one of the things that struck me about the writing. I, I was really prepared to you know, get down in the sadness. In fact, I even kind of put off reading it for a while because uh, you know, those those kinds of stories, especially for, for Paul Horning, who was my dad's um, favorite Packer. My uh, uh, father was about the same age as uh, Paul Horning, and he um, he idolized Paul Horning the way Paul Horning idolized uh, Joe DiMaggio, was yeah. also my dad's favorite baseball player. Yeah. Uh, the whole growing up Catholic thing was was huge for for <laughs> my dad and and for Horning and DeMaggio and all those guys of that era. So I was I was kind of prepared for reading something that was going to make me feel lousy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and 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 this really isn't that kind of piece at all. And I I would hope that um, uh, you know you might be willing to share your email address and people who are interested uh, in reading the other Golden Boy. Um, if they like to to read these accounts of a of of a man, I guess uh, the lion in winter kind of uh, looking back uh, at his life um, through a mind that sometimes fails him, uh, but not in a way that is going to make you feel horrible. If 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 they're interested in, in taking a look at this, how can they contact you, Tom, so that they can get a copy? Sure, um, my uh, email is uh, t as in Thomas. Uh, D-E-L-A-C-E-N-S-E-R-I-E -E -E at AOL.com. Okay. So that is T-D-E-L-A-C-E-N-S-E-R-I-E -E -E at AOL.com. Can you sing that, Chris? Can you? Uh... You know, uh, <laughs> I only do that uh, when the Packers win. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, we we are actually recording this before the Rams game, so we don't know how that's going to come out. Yeah. Uh, but 
Uh, we can certainly help people on Twitter if they weren't able to, to, to get that and they would like to uh, get a copy of this uh, sent to them via email. Uh, Tom is, is, is willing to, to uh, do that. Um, I kind of monopolize a lot of this, Dave. I'm, I'm going to give you the chance for the last question here. Well, I wanted to, Tom, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, the the history of being a Packer fan. Um, you know, you had the 60s and got to celebrate, it sounds like, all of that, those wins. So when we, when someone talks to me, in fact, the other day someone said, I said the Packers had, our logo for Packers therapy has, forgive me again, but is it 13 championships? Um, you're, you're asking, Dave? Oh my I, gosh! I am. Um, I don't know. I'm going to take your stock away. I think. Yeah, maybe you should. But uh, we on our local. There is a, a microphone that has a dot for every championship, and I mentioned it to somebody, and they and they said that's not right. They've won what four Super Bowls? I said no. They've won <laughs> fill in the blank later number of championships. NFL uh, championships, right? And that you got to what? But then you got to go through then the drought of the 70s yeah. and 80s, which is yeah. when I joined my Packer fandom, and then Brett Favre and Mike Holmgren and Ron Wolf showed up. So are you still like as you go think of the the different decades with the Packers? Has has it been a fun journey? Did you almost give up in the 70s and 80s, or how did how did you feel your well, it's it's been a, a bit of a roller coaster, I, you know. And, and if you want to talk about droughts, the the really the, the first memories I have was in the '50s, where they oh. were really uh, really oh. bad, terrible. And I can remember going to my first game at uh, uh, East Green Bay High School, Old, Old City Stadium. Um, and then when Lombardi came, I remember my dad taking me to a CYO breakfast at Cathedral Grade School that Vince Lombardi had just been hired and he was the speaker and I didn't know him from, from Adam, you know, and he, you know, he gave a rousing speech and said they would do well. And of course, you know, they'd had about, uh, in my memory, I guess, four coaches that just were nothing happened. Uh, so then to see, to see them turn that around in the sixties, that was just, uh, I think that gave the entire city of Green Bay a, a shot in the arm and all Packer fans, really the state of Wisconsin. And then, and then after they won their, their last Super Bowl, then the doldrums really kicked in and that was hard. It was very, very hard because you just, you wondered if they were ever gonna come out of it. And, and I think now, you know, there are, there are kids who are now adults who know nothing but uh, Hall of Fame quarterbacks, mm -hmm. Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they they don't know any of the, of the problems that come with the drought. Uh, but no, it's been a great ride, I think. You know, I've, I've always wondered why somebody hasn't made a movie about the Green Bay Packers, because it's such a unique story that will never, ever uh, happen again. Mm -hmm. And 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 the odds of, of of overcoming what you know a Curly Lambeau had to and the city fathers of Green Bay had to with the team almost going broke, I mean it's it's one thing to have a stock sale today when you've got uh, you know a structure like you have over there mm. on the road, but in the 50s I mean they were just trying to eat and uh, so yeah it's it's been a great ride I, I've loved every minute of it and uh, it's it's just the Packers are such a big part of me as they are with most people in Green Bay and Wisconsin. I don't I, I don't give Dave much credit for anything that's kind of my brand um, but I will give him this uh, to be as passionate of a Packer fan as he is and growing up during an era of such destitution uh that is that takes a special kind of guy because i've often wondered if i hadn't had the chance 
of you know catching the the tail end of the Lombardi dynasty. Uh, you know, uh, uh-huh. watching all those games in 1966 and 67, the first Super Bowls, uh, you know, the the Ice Bowl, that kind of sustained me uh, through what was from 1972 when they won the division championship and got got bounced by the Washington football team. Uh, from that point, there was a little blip there in the Bart Starr era toward his uh, in 82, 83, where they were good. But that was it yeah. until un, until, you know, Wolf and Holmgren, those guys came around. Uh, so I had a reason to hang in there. Dave didn't. So no, no. it's hard, hard enough yeah. life. Yeah, I think my highlights was. Uh, we beat the Cardinals, I guess St. Yep. Louis Cardinals in the strike yep. shortened season, and uh, and then like yeah. when Mikowski showed up, you know, we you know almost made the playoffs that year. That, those are the yeah. highlights yes. until Brett Favre almost showed. made the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, yeah. it, I, no, I think it's that's amazing. A, that's an important factor. I I've been critical of the Don Mikowski and the Packer Hall of Fame uh, because you know pff, the guy you know almost got them to the playoffs, but for guys like Dave. I mean, yeah, that was a, a a transformational figure because he was exciting and they actually had a winning season when they were relevant. And so yeah. viewed through that lens, it makes a lot more sense uh, than for me being spoiled by Bart Starr and even even Lynn Dickey. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 been a rough life. No, no question. <laughs> but Tom, I did want to ask you. I thought of this as I I read your article a second time. If you were to have a similar experience with uh, someone new, I, I know a, a, either a current Packer or maybe a retired Packer would be someone that you would like to have that experience again with. And who maybe there's a couple. But have you ever thought of, if you had that chance, who would that be? Yeah, you know, I, I have thought about that, and uh, I think. Um, there's a lot of guys I'd like to have that same experience with, but I think and he's still alive. I think one of the uh, Packers I would love to sit down and talk to is Jerry Kramer. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, he, he uh, he's had a, a pretty rich experience as well. And he's very dedicated and devoted to uh, the, the Packers in Green Bay, just as Horning was. Um, and if you saw Jerry Kramer during his induction into the Hall of Fame, which Horning was there, uh, you know, you're looking at a man that's that's still very lucid and an extremely good speaker. So uh, I, I'm, I'm sure he has a lot of stories as well. But it's uh, he's, he'd be somebody I'd want to talk to. Chris, do you have someone that you would want to do? Uh, if you had that chance? Yeah, you know that that's a really good question because I I was kind of flipping through my you know memory banks here. Um, uh, Carol, maybe Terrell Buckley. Any of them? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I mentioned Lynn Dickey before, and, you know, I would like to speak with him mainly because he he was kind of that oasis in a desert, and he was so badly injured, yet he persevered, and, you know, he, he was a... He was a really fine player in that particular era, gave him a chance week to week, but their their defense... You know, let him down at that time. I, I think the year you're talking about, Dave, or, or maybe it was the next year, '83, where they had the top offense and mm-hmm. the worst defense. <laughs> you know, and and guess what? They finished eight and eight. It's just what you would kind of <laughs> expect. So I, I think Lynn Dickey for me might be that guy because I, I think he'd be very interesting. But contemporary Packers, you know, guys who are on the team now or in the last couple of years, uh, 
you know, that would be interesting. Maybe a maybe a Donald Driver, you know, somebody like that would be interesting to to get to know and 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 and, and talk with. He seems like he had a, a James Jones is another guy that I think would be really interesting because of you know the life that he lived and where he came from. And of course, Dave, our friend Devontae Adams, I think is another one of those guys. Uh, there's a recent article uh, about him in the Athletic that is really quite good that I recommend everybody seek out and read. Uh, I, th- I think those people are people of depth and would be interesting folks to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. I think in my case, the Paul Horning for me, even though I was older, it would have to be Brett Favre. I think in terms of the bigger than life and yeah. uh, lots of stories and probably very similar stories of um, some of that I don't know are true or not, but if you go up to Green Bay, people that live up there, they seem to have all kinds of stories about him. Um, that would be sort of a similar experience, I think, if I had to choose one. But Tom, I wanted to ask you, and this would be my last question. It, we've always talked about like the difference between Favre and Rodgers, that Favre would be someone, um, you know, both love as quarterbacks, but, but I would love to sit down with Favre yeah. and have lunch yeah. with him. Rogers, not yeah. so much. Uh, <laughs> I, that I would feel um, that he would make me feel small, <laughs> and uh, that I didn't have all my Jeopardy knowledge. Would Would you do the same? Would you be interested in having lunch with Aaron Rodgers and any uh, advice you'd you'd give to him? Yeah, I uh, I think I would. I mean, you know, they're two different quarterbacks. Uh, I certainly respect. Uh, Rogers from a athletic standpoint and uh, a mental standpoint. I mean, you can see when he comes up to the line, uh, he's going to call the best possible play uh, there is. I, I, I would like to to have lunch with him. I think I think that um, there's something that can be learned from that '60s Lombardi Packer era. Um, maybe it's it's because. They, you know, they played for next to nothing in terms of salary compared to today. Um, but they, uh, they, they just, they, to me, they epitomize what a, a relationship should be between a sports team and the city that lives and dies with them. And uh, I think that they could all take a lesson from that, including Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like he's getting misty-eyed a little bit. Um, that maybe he's appreciating some of that, but uh, yeah, I think you're you're probably right. But we are you still feel the same way, Chris? Would you have lunch with with Rogers? No, I I I really <laughs> I, I really wouldn't because um, I I hate to hate to say this because he's he's a great Packer. Uh, we're gonna miss him next year probably when he's no longer with them. Uh, but the guy seems like kind of a dick, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I don't know any other way to say it. Uh, and I, the, the, the fellas I mentioned before, uh, you know, I would also put, you know, Jamal Williams who no longer on the team. They seem like interesting, uh, guys who have had difficult backgrounds that have kind of shaped who they are today. I mean, some of the, uh, the offensive linemen, uh, too, I think would be interesting, uh, guys, I think to to sit down with. I mean, there's a reason why offensive linemen tend to have, you know, the highest Wonderlick scores. Um, you know, right. and they are kind of you know working class kind of you know lunch pail guys. Those those are the sorts of, of players I would gravitate uh, toward, rather than a guy like 
Aaron Rodgers, who puts off this this aura of, you know, um, you're one down from me. You know, like you said, David, make you feel small. And you're a man six feet, two, two inches tall. That's got to be, <laughs> you know, to make you feel small is, is quite an achievement. So I, I guess I wouldn't. <sighs> I, I really wouldn't be interested. I and I know that sounds like a weird thing to say for a, a Hall of Fame player. I would I would sooner sit down with, you know, uh, Brett Favre would probably be making that you know the fart sound underneath his armpit and he'd be belching <laughs> at the table and you know talking about his tractor. I, he'd be a lot more fun and a lot more interesting guy, uh, despite all of the baggage that he has, than Aaron, than Aaron Rodgers. Although I would like to ask Aaron Rodgers. What is it with you and your parents? That, I guess that, that is the one. Of course, if I asked that question, lunch would yeah. be over. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's right. Yeah. Salad in your face. <laughs> exactly either, right. Yeah. Either way, I would be very nervous about that prospect. So, Tom, being able to do that with Paul Horning, I can imagine, took courage in of itself to be able to to, to do that. So, um, And what a payoff well, it was to be able to do it. It, the guys, I will tell you this, that, uh, you know, if you do ever meet an idol, the, the child that is always in all of us uh, will surface. And it, it did when I met Paul Horning. And for me, it was it was great because I was able to overcome that. And we became, uh, you know, friends, if you will, just to be able to uh, have lunch every month for three years. Um, but it was a great experience and one I wouldn't trade for the world. Awesome. Well, um, I, I I did have that privilege, uh, Tom. I met Bart Starr when I was eight years old. Uh, <laughs> my dad took me over. Uh, this was in 1968. I uh, just about turned nine years old. And uh, we went over to a practice on the United Street uh, practice field. In those days, you know, I don't think they even had a fence up, but you could just, you know, get autographs as they walked over. Yeah. Of course, everyone mobbed, you know. You know, Bart Starr. And I got his autograph that day. And also, you know, my dad was 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 quick enough on the draw that he was able to <laughs> take a picture of me, uh, you know, getting the autograph from uh, from Bart Starr. And Excellent. when and when 15 uh, passed away, uh, I kind of was sad for a lot of reasons, but also because I didn't have any more heroes. That was kind of my last my last one. And if yeah. there was a guy that I could have had the opportunity to have a monthly lunch for three years, it would have been that guy. He was, he was uh, my lodestar, uh, pardon the pun there. So uh, I really appreciated uh, reading your, your piece, Tom, because uh, it rekindled a lot of those old memories of those great Packer teams. And also yeah. from a perspective of somebody, a real, you know, Wisconsin guy uh, that, feels the team more than just as a fan, but kind of viscerally, you know, having grown up in that milieu. So uh, thank you for the piece. And thank you for taking the time with us uh, today to talk about oh, it. Thank you. What, no, once again, please, please give your email address one more time for those who are interested in having uh, this uh, piece mailed to them. Sure. Uh, that's T as in Thomas, D-E-L-A-C-E-N. S-E-R-I-E at A-O-L dot com. All right. Well, thank you again, Tom, uh, for your time. It was, it was it was a real pleasure. And uh, I guess now, uh, even though we're recording this for the, playing in the bye week, uh, we are hopeful that somehow uh, the Packers, shorthanded as they are, will find a way uh, to beat the Rams at Lambeau Field. By the time you hear this, the outcome of that will already be known, but I can bet that 
Tom and Dave and I, I think we'll all be uh, perched in front of the TV set uh, watching that game uh, when it airs actually tomorrow. So Go anyway, back, no. exactly, exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you for being a guest on a rare guest, a very special edition of Packers Therapy. So until the next time uh, we get together, I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. And that's Packers Therapy. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. And that's Packers Therapy.